Welcome to Be The One. I'm Aaron, and hello, Vani. How are you today? Hi, Aaron. I'm not doing too bad. All right. Well, as always, I say good to see you. Great to see you, my friend. And on today's episode, I really want to hear your story. I know that yours is a story. It's a very powerful story. It actually created an entire organization, I Understand Love Heals. And I think really we just need to, to take a dive because it's such an amazing organization. I've heard your story before. It is so absolutely powerful. So I'll just say, take it away. Well, thank you, Erin. Um, it's definitely a story of heartbreak and sadness, but also of hope. And that's what I hope to do with I Understand is, is to provide some hope for somebody that has lost a loved one to death by suicide. So I lost my husband. It's going to be 16, 16 years ago. And um, at times it feels like it was yesterday. And at times it feels like it was another lifetime ago. Um, my husband suffered from anxiety-driven depression. And um, 16 years ago, we didn't really talk about it. And, um, and I didn't know, I did not know that depression could be deadly, that depression could kill. So when my husband dealt with his depression, you know, I was the cheerleader. I was the, the sky's not falling down type person. And I know that those, those words are encouraging, but with someone suffering from depression, they really don't help because they're in such a different place. So my husband um, lost his battle, and I was left alone at 39 years old with three children, um, ages. I was left alone. So I lost my husband 16 years ago to depression, and at the time, we didn't word it like that. Um, people would say, how did your husband kill himself? Um, he died by suicide or he committed suicide. And all of those things made me really uncomfortable. And it made me, um, made it really difficult to talk about. And having a five-year-old, a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old, how do you say how your dad died? So it was very difficult. So through a lot of counseling, a lot of um, just my own gut and my own intuition, I wasn't comfortable living with the questions that people asked and how they asked them. So I found that I just kind of stayed in and I, I developed what I call turtle syndrome. I would stick my head out, slowly peek out into the real world. And, um, but when I did, I heard the whispers. She's the one whose husband killed himself. I saw the finger pointing. I felt it. I saw reactions from different people. There was a, a dad that died um, in a car accident, and that family got a year of support through meals and gift wrapping and Christmas shopping. And we got a, a $100 check for a local organization that we were supporting at the time, and no conversation was had. I mean, that must have been so difficult. I can't imagine what it would be like. On, on You have these friends who... There's a car accident and this is a, a tragic event. And then your husband, which is just as tragic, they kind of want to hold like an arm's length. They don't want to talk about it. It's not. Well, it's a dark and scary subject. Yes. People don't want to talk about it. And I think that part of the language that we use is one of the reasons why they don't want to talk about it. People weren't 
asking me how I was. They were dropping off meals, but the most commonly asked question that someone gets after a loss to suicide is how did they do it? So why are we asking that question and how do I answer that question? So what happened was that was a trigger for me. That was a really emotional time that I can't go into that. The conversations were so difficult to have that I started to lie. I couldn't handle the questions that were asked to me about how my husband died. So I found it much easier to talk about cancer. But then that was like the spiral effect because it would be, oh my gosh, she's so young to die by cancer. And then what kind of cancer? And I'd be like, prostate cancer. Oh, how, what? And then I would just be digging myself in this deeper, deeper hole. So then I developed the turtle syndrome, um, just slowly sneaking, peeking my head out and um, looking around me. But when I saw those finger pointing and knowing that people were talking about me, it just made me go back in my shell. And I was in my shell for a long time. It took me many years to start talking about it because I had such young kids. And, and how do you tell your children how your dad died? But we were always very open and honest. And my youngest, who was five, um, I told her that he died of sadness. And then as she got older, we can can expand on what sadness means and really define it a little bit more because you don't want kids to think that everybody's going to die just because they're sad. Um, but it definitely had a spiral effect on, on people around us. Um, business relationships changed, family that came around stopped. Um, couples, friends that were couples didn't come around anymore. And you're lonely. I mean, I was very lonely in the sense of I don't have a husband anymore, but yet I was so busy trying to raise these three kids alone. But I think the loneliness came more so from I didn't have anybody that understood. So you're out there, you're trying to raise your three kids. And in addition to working through the loss of your husband, you're also having to deal with a shame like this powerful sense of shame of the way that he died and what you're having to do now. And that shame is just being propagated by people who aren't coming around your house anymore. They're not talking to you. So your friends are gone and in their own silent way shaming you. It, it oh. was such a difficult place to be in. And if you've never been there, you don't get it. And Starting, I understand, was really such a way to heal because feeling so alone. But once I started, all of a sudden, I was the, this army of one went from troops behind me. And there's so much power in sharing your story and telling others because you get to be in a place where people say, I know, I get it, I understand, and you're no longer alone. And I think that we both feel that way with your story of suffering from depression and you're sharing yours, you're no longer alone. And for me, it was, oh, there's people that really do get it, that they're not going to judge him. And there's this safety zone of he's a great guy. The way that he died should never be defined by how he lived and we need to do something to change the stigma that's attached and that judgment because those are holding people like yourself back, afraid that people are going to think that you're weak, 
afraid that people are going to judge you. When my husband died from an illness, and like all other illnesses, they're preventable, they're treatable, but yet they can also be terminal. And my husband lost his battle. It was not a choice. It was a side effect of an illness. That's why we need to talk about it, because those that are in pain, we need to get to the root of that pain and where that pain comes from. I wanted to ask, how long after losing your husband did you begin I Understand? I began I Understand um, five years ago, so it was about 10 years after he passed, but it took me that long to get to where I am, Mm -hmm. because I did have young young kids, you know, my young five, 12 and 15. So, and they've all had their own struggles. Um, the loss of their dad is, is a big one. The anxiety that is genetic component, um, fourth generation suicide. So all of a sudden I was worrying about the fifth generation, the potential sixth generation, because, um, there's no guarantees. So I needed to do as much as I could understand as much as I could so I could do the best job that I could raising my kids to have no regrets in understanding the illness that all three of them suffer with, just like their dad. And with the depression and the anxiety, it's, I absolutely have to agree with you. You know, it is, there's a huge genetic component and just being able to be aware in your own mind. So like for your children, knowing what you know, they're able to I guess you could say almost scream themselves like any, you know, kind of thing like you're, you know, feeling in your body for like some type of cancer. Um, you're, you're getting tests with anxiety because you're aware of this and because you've helped remove the stigma, they can be aware of what it might look like if this is starting to be the path that, that their brain is going down. They're starting to develop this disease. Yeah, well, we start to treat it. You know, we, st- we start to, okay, let, let's see, let's, let's get you evaluated. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about your feelings. Let's talk about what um, it feels like to lose your dad when nobody else around you has. And that empty feeling. I mean, there's so many different layers to it. So one example after we started, I understand, with my daughter um, who grew up without her dad. And, you know, she would be maybe in gym class and the gym teacher saying, okay, everybody after dinner tonight, I want you to go home and walk a mile with your dad. And then a student will raise her hand and say, but Maddie doesn't have a dad. How does she respond? She feels bad. She feels left out. Um, But she comes home to me and I say, Maddie, of course you have a dad. Everybody has a dad. He's just in a different place than we are. And he's in heaven right now. But it's also always being the daddy-daughter dance. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just layers and layers that many, many situations where it's difficult. My daughter getting married, you know, wanted to have a big wedding. All the anxiety and stress that surrounded who was going to walk her down the aisle and all the generous people that offered, but at the end of the day, they weren't her dad. The nerves that I got thinking about, oh, is it me? Am I going to have to do that daddy-daughter dance as the mom? So there's so much anxiety around the loss of the dad all these years later that my daughter eloped. You know, we solved that problem of the anxiety. Is it what she really wanted? No, but that's what we did. It's accepting. I think that people give you like a month and then they just expect you to get on, get over it. 
But when you have to watch your children every day grow up without their parent, they're not replaced. And yes, you can get remarried and you can date and you can have other relationships. But at the end of the day, my kids don't have their their dad and they lost him in a very tragic and horrific way. Suicide like as an event is tragic and it brings shame, but it also has like these tendrils that reach out throughout all the rest of life and it reverberates for years. I mean, it took you 10 years to be able to get to the point where you would process enough and you were able to work through it pretty much on your own to start Love Heals. And that was 10 years of loneliness and shame and focusing on your children. And then even after, you know, you started Love Heals and you yourself started to heal, watching your children still go through these tough times, wishing for their dad, longing for their dad. It just really drives home for me the point that we need and what we're doing is on the right path. It's absolutely on the right path. I mean, the more we can share our stories, the more we can get people to understand suicide and changing that conversation that surrounds it. And if we could look at, I mean, 90% of those that die by suicide have suffered from some form of depression. We need to talk about that. We need to find out where that depression is coming from. I didn't know that depression could kill, and it does. It's not my husband killing himself. It is the illness that is winning, and we need to talk about that. And I think that that is the drive behind the definition petition, and I understand What's the definition petition? So the definition petition is getting rid of that old stigmatized definition of suicide as one who intentionally kills themselves to what we believe is a more accurate, updated definition, um, a side effect of a mental health illness or pain. So where does that pain come from? Because 50, I just read an article that said 54% of those that do buy, die by suicide do not suffer or do not have a diagnosed mental health illness. So look at what we're focusing on. We're not focusing on over half the people who are suffering from depression. We are focusing on those that are diagnosed. So where does that pain come from? It comes from bullying. It comes from financial devastation. It comes from heartache. It comes from death. It comes from everyday life experiences that can bring people that are already maybe suffering from other things and trigger into pain so deep somebody just wants to end it all. But let's talk about the physical. So I've had, we've all had physical pain. Suicide can be a side effect of pain. Shouldn't we be looking at all? Um, So physical pain, this is how I relate to somebody's thought process that could be suicidal. I've had the stomach flu or food poisoning. I don't know what it was so bad. I was in a ball on the bathroom floor feeling like a knife was in my stomach, twisting, turning. And I was saying, I just want to die. I just want to die. Did I really want to die? No. Of course not. I wanted my pain to end. So once my pain ended two hours later, I was so glad I didn't die. And I think that if we can look at our depression as you're in this moment of pain, it's not going to be there forever. Let's get you out of that moment 
Because once you're out of that moment, you're not going to want to die. You're going to want to be here. So remembering that suicide is a side effect of pain, we can get to the bottom, the root cause. I think part of the problem, though, and we've kind of discussed this, is that type of pain, whether it be heartache or a financial loss and bringing on the depression, it's stigmatized. There's a shame in talking about it. So it's doubly difficult for this because you think to yourself, you had mentioned 54% aren't diagnosed and it's because they, they feel that shame. So there's shame to even talk about it. There's shame if the depression does eventually win. It's just a huge cycle of shame. And that is, it just it really needs to be broken. Because if we could break this cycle of shame, if we could just have people be like, this is who I am, this is what I'm feeling and we, instead of judging them and, like you said, saying you're weak, we embraced them and loved them and protected them. How more beautiful would this world be? How many more people would be with us? How many more families would be intact? How many more children would be with their parents? Right. And, you know, you think about the, the comfort that comes with understanding, right? Like, I'm sure that when we when we talked about your story, you, you probably felt comforted that somebody finally got it and that you weren't going to yes. be judged. Yes. And that's why we need to continue to talk about it. And I think with with suicide, some of the things that we say and part of changing that language and changing that definition is let's take the word kill out. Why are we asking people how mm-hmm. how they did it? Why does that matter? And that that only gets copycats. That only gives people ideas. That only triggers families. That makes people lie about what really happened. Um, let's take the word commit out. Up until 1964, suicide was deemed a crime. And that's where the word commit came in. So do people commit cancer? They... Do people commit heart disease? Mm-mm. Well, people don't commit suicide either they die by suicide their illness one they let's talk about the illness my husband died of depression bottom line so ask me how my husband died how did your husband die he killed himself you don't know what to say do you i don't right i I just blank stare like oh yeah i wish you could have seen his face right now everybody yeah okay ask me again How did your husband die? He died from depression. What a different conversation we could have. You could say, how can you die from depression? Mm -hmm. What are the signs and symptoms of depression? How do we treat depression? Right? Absolutely. Well, Bonnie, again, thank you so much for sharing your story. I've heard it a few times and every time I hear it, there's something new to really for me to take away from it. What can our listeners do do next? Where can they go? Where can they get more information so that they can be the one? It's so easy and it does not cost anything to be a part of the change and change the conversation because number one, just by changing your attitude and accepting people for who they are. And let's go back to, you know, our Pink Heart Project and give, you know, give your heart to someone to show them that you care and that you understand and that you will be the one. Um, The second thing is changing your conversation. Take the words kill out, take the words commit out. Let's stop asking the question of how someone died and let's talk about why. Let's talk about the illness rather than the act. And go to our website, www.iunderstand.com 
loveheals.org and sign the definition petition so we can change that conversation by changing the definition. I think even signing the petition, regardless of wherever it goes, and I mean, I hope it goes through, but signing that petition in of itself engages you with the conversation. It brings you and it makes you part of it. So please head over there and sign that and become part of the conversation. Oh, I totally believe that. I say whether the definition actually gets changed or not, and I believe it will. And even if it's 20 years from now, you can say, I remember when I heard a podcast about that or I signed that definition. Um, we're evoking conversations with it. We're getting people to think and think about how they're talking. Well, again, thank you so much, Vani. I'd also like to thank our producer, Chris. He has done a phenomenal job. So, Vani, I will see you next time. Sounds good. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Be The One. We'll see you next week. They say everything happens for a reason. Life has its own seasons. In the wind, you can only feel the snow. Start to wonder if those flowers gonna grow. So keen the snow, so keen the rain. It's all a part of how our seasons change. Oh